0: We're going to get into the sermon now, into the message. It's from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. We are continuing in our series in the book of John. Uh, Gosh, how long has it been now? Three months or so? Two months, maybe? Uh, Now we're in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And there's so much going on in this passage. This passage is a really unique passage. It is really unique and it is really amazing. And um, I I really, I I hope that we can, gosh, I don't know. I I hope that I can uh, do justice to why this is such a special passage today. It's very unique. There's no other passage like this in the Bible for reasons that I will get into. And um, it's so good. I I hope that it's something that can really encourage you and challenge you today. Let me read first through uh, all the verses. It says this After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found them in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of God. Um, As we come back around here, back up to verse one, it says that there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now you will see this happening again and again and again throughout the gospels because uh, according to the Torah, the five books of Moses, according to Levitical law, Every male in Israel had to go to Jerusalem three times a year for the festivals. Uh, sometimes their entire family went three times a year. So even during the Gospels, if they took place over the course of three and a half years, as many, many theologians think, that means Jesus was up in Jerusalem at least 10, 11 times, if not more, right? So this was one of the times. We don't know which feast exactly this was, but Jesus was up there again in Jerusalem. He was a good uh, Torah-abiding Jew, so he went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, it says, uh, near the sheep gate, a pool named Bethesda in Aramaic, one of the the languages that was spoken there. It was called Bethesda, and it had five roofed colonnades. And in this place, many invalids, people who were blind, lame, paralyzed, they would hang out under these colonnades, getting protection from the sun, hanging out near these pools. If you go to jerusalem i have never been there myself some of you may have been there you can find the remains of that area it's a real place where these pools used to be where there are these covered colonnades that's probably a pillar that kind of held up one of these roofs that used to be there this was a real place there in jerusalem and here is a artist's rendition of what it um, might have looked like back in the day you can see that it it was kind of like two pools and there were these covered areas all around it. Maybe three going the short way, two long ones going the other way, something like that. And there were these pools of water, and people would hang out underneath these covered areas. It's Middle East, right? The sun is blazing. These invalids would hang out under the covered areas near the pool. And that little door back there in the wall on the right, up in the top, is the sheep gate where where people would come through as well. That John is talking about. So. This was a, a real place there. Now that's a little bit of background. Another point of background that I want to give is that uh, if you've been v- reading along very carefully, you may look here and you may say, "Oh, Ulysses, um, you were reading here, verse one, verse two, verse three, and then it jumps to verse five. Where did verse four go? Did you make a mistake? Is that is that you know what happened, Ulysses? Are you a heretic? What's going on? Where's verse four? Um, uh, this." To give a little background here, so, as to, so that you know that I didn't just miss verse 4, um, the, the majority of the best manuscripts, and, and manuscripts are basically the copies of the Bible that we can find. There are thousands of them today. Some entire copies of the New Testament, some like a, a book of it, some like a quote of it, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these manuscripts out there, and Through a process called text criticism, which you're learning, if you're in a community group, you're learning about this right now, actually. And and this week's chapter is on on this. So this is a great, this timing is amazing. But through this process of comparing all of these thousands of copies, um, we have a tremendous, tremendously high level of confidence in knowing what the original said. It's like a form of reverse engineering, okay? And the best, most reliable copies of the New Testament of John of chapter 5 don't have verse 4 in it. It's not in there. It's in it in the King James Version, but I think there's a high degree of consensus now that it shouldn't be in there, that it's not a part of the original gospel of John. This is what it actually said. If you look up a King James Version, you can see it. It says that these invalids were laying by the pool waiting for the moving of the water For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. I'm actually glad that that's not in there, you know? Like, I kind of feel like, is God like, you know, like a guy with candy and he's surrounded by kids and he throws one out once in a while and, then you know, enjoys seeing the kids like jump on top of each other and the scrum to try to get the candy, like, oh, the water's stirring, let's run in and get healed. Um, I, you know, that, that's, I don't think that's actually what God would do, um, and I'm actually glad that it's not in there, but you may say, well, why was that put in there in the first place? Well, if we look at verse 7, right, Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed, and the man said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going down, another steps down before me. Why did this guy want to get in the water when it stirred up, when it was stirred up? Is it just, is it because, you know, like the the, the jacuzzi, the jets got turned on? It's like, oh, everybody wants to go in the jacuzzi when the jets are on, right? We all like the bubbles. Is that what it is? No, it's probably because theologians think that there was a superstition back then where people thought that if somebody goes into the water, when it gets stirred up, you can be healed. Now, they say that there might've been natural springs that spread this water, that fed this water so that it would kind of get stirred up once in a while. I don't know, maybe one day some guy was in the water, nobody else was in it, and it happened to bubble up, and then like later he was like, I feel great! And then people were like, oh my gosh, got to get in the water when it's bubbled up, and it became this thing. I think that's probably what happened. So probably one person, when they were copying the, the book of John and making copies, remember there's no printers, no, no photocopiers, right? and handing out these copies, wrote in the margin of his copy an explanation About verse 7. He wrote in the edge of his copy, oh, because there's this this thing that people believed, right? And then as people made copies of the copies of the copies, eventually maybe people were like, oh, that should be in there. Or was that a part of it? And it ended up in there. Okay? So that's a long story, not short. That's a long story, made a long story. But uh, that's probably what's going on. And the best manuscripts do not have verse four in there. So the version that we read, the English standard version here that I preach from, doesn't have it in there as well. I don't I don't think it belongs in there. So but getting to the main point of this message this morning, uh, I want to highlight two things that we see in the life of Jesus here through this amazing passage this morning. Two things that I want to highlight. First is the compassion of Jesus, and second is the clarity of Jesus. First, the compassion of Jesus, and second, the clarity of Jesus. First, let's look at the compassion of Jesus. We can ask, how did Jesus end up in this place where there were all these invalids? Did Jesus, you know, take a walk through Jerusalem that day and accidentally stumbled upon this place where there were all of these blind and lame people, a place that probably many people didn't want to go hang out or be around because of all the people that were there who were blind and lame and paralyzed. Not exactly a place that, you know, the typical Israelite wanted to hang out, I would assume. How did Jesus end up in this place? Did he just get lost as he was wandering through the streets of Jerusalem? No way. No way. Jesus, as I said earlier, went to Jerusalem at least three times every year. And he does this year after year after year as a Torah-abiding Jew. In the book of Luke, we see him when he was 12 years old. He was in Jerusalem because his parents went up to celebrate one of the feasts that was there. I believe it was Passover. Jesus was there. So Jesus had been in Jerusalem traveling from you know, Nazareth, his hometown, up in the Galilee area, down to Jerusalem, probably dozens of, definitely dozens of times, possibly 50, 60 times or more. Jesus knew this place like the back of his hand. Can you imagine if you like go on vacation to the same place every year, three times a year? Even if you don't live there, I guarantee you, you know that place like the back of your hand. Oh yeah, let's go to the ice cream shop down the road. Oh, that that place opens at five o'clock. Oh, let's take that trail for a hike over there. You know everything about that place if you've been there 50, 60 times for vacation. You do it all the time. Jesus knew Jerusalem like the back of his hand. He knew what was in this place by the pool of Bethesda. He didn't end up there just accidentally. I think he came here intentionally. Just like in John chapter 4, he intentionally went into Samaria. He intentionally went into Sychar to go meet the Samaritan woman at the well to have a conversation with her. He knew exactly what he was doing and where he was going. Jesus intentionally came here to the pool of Bethesda he came here. He came to this place that other people wanted to avoid. It'd be like probably going up to San Francisco and going straight into the Tenderloin. It'd be like going down to LA, going straight into Skid Row, something like that, I would imagine. Jesus intentionally went into that place. And it says that in his omniscience, because Jesus is God, he just looked at this man and he knew that he had been paralyzed a long time. I think he knew that he'd been paralyzed for 38 years and that he'd been waiting by this pool for a long, long time. Perhaps all 38 years of his paralyzed life he'd been waiting here. Jesus knew this about him. I think Jesus, in his great compassion, went straight to this area of Bethesda, knowing what was there at this pool, maybe even knew this man that was there. He was attracted to this man that was probably, potentially, the one who had been there the longest, the one with the most brokenness and need in his life. If we were to look at it as concentric circles, Jesus went into Jerusalem, then he went into the place of brokenness by the pool of Bethesda, then he singled out this man who may have been the most broken of them all and had been there the longest of them all. And he went up to him out of his compassion and he said to him, do you want to be healed? We are seeing the compassion of Jesus on display. Now, if I think that there are a lot of messages out there on this passage that tend to psychologize this question of Jesus. I've heard messages where they will say, you know, why did Jesus ask this man this question? Do you want to be healed? Isn't it, isn't it obvious that he, he wants to be healed? I mean, he's not there just sunbathing, right? He's there because he's paralyzed, because he's there. He's hoping this water will heal him. Why is Jesus asking him, do you want to be healed? And they say, well, it's because Jesus wants to see, does this man have any faith to be healed? Is there any faith left in this man? to be healed. Because, because we need to have faith. And, and the message goes along the lines of something like, hey, you need to have faith. Do you believe that God can change your life? Do you believe that God can change your situation? You got to go to God, have faith. And the message often goes like this. And, and, I, and I think it's, it's very good intentions, but I think that's over-psychologized. Because if we really think about this, this man had no idea who Jesus was. He had no idea who he was. There there was he couldn't have had faith in Jesus. There's no way. Jesus was just some stranger walking through who asked me, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? He had no idea who Jesus was. He could not have approached Jesus with any faith. And when you look at his answer, there's no faith in his answer. His answer is just, bro, I'm here by the pool for a reason. Of course, I want to get well. (laughs) Of course, I want to get well. I want to be healed. That's why I'm here. And we can see by his answer, what he's saying is, sir, I have nobody to help me in the water when it gets bubbled up. In other words, he's saying, could you help me? Could you help lift me up and carry me into the water so I could be first when the water gets stirred up so that I I could be healed in this water? It has nothing to do with Jesus. You're the son of God. You can heal me. It was, sir, you're a stranger. Can you pick me up and put me in this water when the jets get going? This man had no faith, so to speak, of. I don't think there's any faith here. There was no prerequisite of faith. Jesus wasn't looking for faith. Jesus healed this man purely out of compassion. He went to the place of invalids he found the one that had been there the longest, and out of a heart that was moved. And we see in the Bible, Jesus' heart moved again and again with compassion for people and for the sick, and he healed them. He was moved out of compassion for this man, and he healed him. I think it was because his heart was moved. Now, why did this man do what Jesus said? When Jesus said, get up, take up your bed, and walk, and walk, How come this man didn't just say, you cruel, cruel human being? What is this, some kind of sick joke? Get up, take my bed and walk. I'm laying out here for a reason, friend. Now, you're going to pick me up and put me in the water when it gets stirred up or what? How come this man didn't just curse out Jesus and be like, what in the world are you saying? Probably my guess is that because when Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk, that this man sensed something happening in his body maybe parts of his body, he felt something. Places where he was paralyzed, where he could not feel anything, and he hadn't felt anything for 38 years, sensation began to return. That was undeniable. He felt something going on, and I can imagine him being like, what? Oh oh my God, what? What? And moving his leg and, and able, and he tries to get up, and he gets up, and he picks up his bed, and he walks. Jesus heals this man. Let me say it again. I believe Jesus does this out of compassion for this broken human being who had been there by the water for 38 years. Now bookmark that moment for a moment there, the compassion of Jesus. Now, after he heals this man, after we move on in in this chapter in John, it says that day was the Sabbath. This man has this interaction with the Jews and the Jews are like, hey, you can't carry your bed around. It's a Sabbath. you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And, and this man says, "This guy told me, the guy who healed me told me to take up my bed." Now I'm not going to get into the Sabbath today. There's just too much going on here. That's going to be a whole nother message. Next week we'll be looking at the Sabbath, and we'll be kind of flowing into the later next part of John chapter five, but we will examine that next week. But this man has this interaction with the religious leaders. They are annoyed and pissed that he's holding his bed, and he tells them that I was healed. The man who healed me told me to take my bed and walk. Now, after this, things get really, really fascinating here. It says very clearly here, verse 13, he didn't know who healed him. He didn't know it was Jesus. Now, it says Jesus withdrew. Why? Because there was a crowd in the place. Jesus, I'm assuming did not want to cause some type of tumult or commotion in that place. That guy jumping up going, oh my gosh, I'm healed. And people are like, what? What? And, and mobbing Jesus, people going crazy or something or another. For, for whatever reason, in the providence, in the plan of God, it was not the time for that. Jesus heals him. It's a massive crowd in the place. Maybe people are getting stirred up. People are seeing him. What's going on? And Jesus slips away. He slips out of the crowd in that place. Now, It says in verse 14, Jesus found them in the temple. This man went to the temple. Why? I don't know. If I couldn't walk for 38 years, maybe I'd be excited to go to the temple, a place where actually I was not allowed to go before because I was an invalid, because I was paralyzed. Now I'm able to go to the temple. Maybe he wanted to go and worship God or give thanks or something or another. We don't know, but he's in the temple complex. Now Jesus says to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, I got I to gotta pause here and take a moment to talk about this for a little bit here before we move on because Jesus, are you saying that this man's sickness, his invalidity, if that's, the, if that's a word, his being an invalid was because of sin? It certainly seems like it here in this case. Let me emphasize and make sure that we understand that sickness is not always the result of sin. It certainly is not. That if you, are, if you are, are disabled or handicapped, or if you get sick, or if you develop cancer, or something like that, it is not necessarily because of sin. Later on in John chapter 9, they saw a man blind from birth. His disciples were thinking along this worldview and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What Jesus is saying is, no, it's not because of sin that this man was born blind, but here is an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed as Jesus heals that man. That man's blindness was not the result of sin. Uh, Job's friends, same thing. They had the same mentality. Job, all these terrible things happen to you. It must be because there's sin in your life. And Job says, no, 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 it's not. It's not. Till the day I die, I will stand by that. I didn't sin. And what happens in Job 42? God rebukes Job's friends and says, they've been speaking wrongly about me. They were wrong. It wasn't because Job sinned. They were wrong. Job, you got to pray for them. Pray for them. It wasn't. It was because there was a cosmic battle. There was this cosmic showdown going on between the devil and God, and the devil was tormenting Job. All of these things were not because of sin. Now, sickness can be because of sin. It is possible. In 1 Corinthians, we went over this book earlier, people were getting sick and even dying because they were approaching communion in a way that was blasphemous, in a way that was breaking the heart of God. People were actually getting sick and dying because of that. That certainly makes me want to think about how I approach communion. In Job, excuse me, in James chapter 5, it seems like there in this case that the elders pray for those who are sick. And it says here at the end, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It seems like James is saying that the person's sin, it may have been sin in the person's life that led to the sickness as well. So this is possible. It is possible. And it seems like the case with this man. So both can happen. No, it is certainly not always because of sin. Because of it is not always our sickness is not always because of sin. We are not a health and wealth preaching church that if there's something wrong in your life, it's because of sin and you need to get right with God. No, sometimes there is sickness because we live in a world broken because of Adam's sin that has come into the world that has affected all of life, including our bodies. But it can be because of sin, and in this case, with this man, it seems like it was. Now, why? You may be there saying, Why is this, Ulysses, why are you so excited about this passage? This is why I'm so excited about this passage. It says here in verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple. I believe what this is saying here is that Jesus specifically went to look for this man in the temple. I don't think it means he just, oh, happened to bump into him in the temple. No. I think Jesus found him he searched for him. In the Greek, the word can mean searched for. Uh, A theologian I really respect thinks it means searched for as well. Jesus searched for this man. Jesus found him in the temple. And what did he do? He told them, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What What did Jesus do? He specifically went to find this man who he healed earlier who didn't know who healed him, to tell him two things. One, stop sinning. Stop sinning. You've been healed. Your sickness actually, it sounds to me like, was because of sin. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Jesus tells him to live a life of holiness, to walk with God. Jesus is concerned with how he is to live now. Now that you've been healed, don't sin, walk with God. Walk in righteousness with God. Don't go back to whatever it was that you were doing. Don't think that your physical healing means now, hey, I can go back to the old life that I used to live. Don't think any of those things. You've been healed physically, now stop sinning, change your life, walk with God. He's concerned about how this man is to live now. And he says to him, Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Friends, what's worse than being an invalid for 38 years because of sin? How many, what what worse things can happen to him? I think the worst thing that Jesus is talking about here is spending eternity apart from God, of, of going to hell because of his sin. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying if you you don't stop sinning, if you continue walking in a life of unrepentant sin, if you continue living in unrighteousness, there's only one place where you will end up, and that is eternally separated from God. You will be in hell. You will be there for eternity. And I don't want you there. So stop sinning. So Jesus tells him also how to live forever. Jesus is concerned about how he is to live now, and about how he will live forever. He goes to find this man to tell him this. Friends, there is no other case of something like this happening in the Gospels. No other case like this. Where Jesus heals somebody, he does a miracle, they don't know it's him. Could have been some magician, it could have just happened miraculously, it just happened on its own. And then he leaves it at that. There's no other case like this where, where somebody like this man doesn't know that it was Jesus who healed him. And then Jesus, what he does is he comes back and he tells them who it was. Look, every other instance in the Bible, they know it's Jesus. If you want to look through the book of John, when you fed the 5,000, there were crowds there for a reason. They knew that this was somebody, the Messiah, claiming the Messiah, whatever they were thinking, they knew that it was Jesus. That's why they were all there. In John 9, when he healed that blind man, this man knew that it was Jesus who healed him. He said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and healed me. It was clear he knew that it was Jesus. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Mary and Martha were there, the brothers of Lazarus, Surely Lazarus is going to know that Jesus was the one who raised him. All the Jews who are watching this knew and saw that Jesus was the one who did this. There was no doubt about that. That's it for the book of John. If you go through all of Matthew, you can see in every instance his fame spread. All those brought the sick and he healed them. They all knew that it was Jesus. A leper came and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He called him Lord, he knew that. The Roman centurion said, Lord, my servant, heal him. Don't even come under my roof, because I know who you are. I am a soldier with soldiers under me, and I know that you have authority. Just say, be healed, and he'll be healed. In Matthew chapter 12, he healed a man with a withered hand in a synagogue, and the religious leaders were there. It was like a trap. They were waiting for Jesus to heal this guy. They all knew who he was. In Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman Non Jew even came and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my da- daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She knew who he was. In Matthew 15, verse 30, great crowds came and he healed their sick. They knew who he was. In Matthew 17, the great crowds were there and a man with a son who had seizures said, Lord, have mercy on my son. In Matthew 20, one last one here, it says great crowds followed them and two blind men were there. They couldn't see Jesus. They found out it was Jesus and they said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. That's every account in the book of Matthew. I went through Mark and I went through Luke. I looked at every miracle Jesus did every single time they knew it was Jesus. You can go look for yourself. You find one that's contrary to that, email me. Let me know and I'll humble myself. Every single instance, every miracle Jesus did, they all knew who he was. This is the one instance in the Gospels where the guy who got healed didn't know it was Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He comes back. He finds him. He, he is saying, I believe through this passage, this guy needs to know it was me. He needs to know it was me. He needs to know it wasn't just like, I walked by and I, bam, be healed. And he's there like, what's happening oh my gosh, some water splashed on me, and I think the water healed me. I think, uh, or, or some dude came, and he was a magician, and he healed me. No, Jesus wanted this man to know that it was him. Jesus was intent on bringing clarity to this man's life, to know that it was him who healed him, And don't you think that this is just a physical healing. You go on living how you want to live. I healed you for a purpose. I healed you so that you could stop sinning, so that you could live in the right way now. And I healed you so that you could live forever. That is why I healed you. Make no doubt about it. I got to find this man. I got to make sure he knows. He didn't get to tell him. Because the crowds were there, because it would have become a tumult, because it would become a commotion over there. He slipped away and he said, I need to find that man later. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus doesn't do drive by healings. He doesn't. In every instance, he does it so that people would know he healed them and he is pointing to a deeper reality that it is not just about physical healing, it is about spiritual healing, it is about forgiveness of sin. Brothers and sisters, what is for us, the application is so clear. Don't don't just give somebody a handout. Don't just give them five bucks. Don't just buy a meal for them. Don't just go somewhere and build them a house and just leave it at that. Tell them about the one who can heal their heart and soul. Tell them about the one who, who, when this life is over and and these physical needs are no longer there, tell them about the one that they need to spend eternity with. Tell people about how to live now, and how we can live forever. That is what Jesus was intent on doing. John Piper, about this passage, he said this, Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than a healed body. Wow, that's a strong statement, because we're like, a healed body, that's pretty good. That's pretty important, isn't it? Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than a healed body. He sought this man out he found him he made sure that he knew who he was and the message of the gospel. Friends, meeting people's felt needs is is good. it is so good, but we cannot leave it at that. We must tell them about the message of the gospel. Could you you know like imagine imagine I knew that you had cancer, but you don't know that you have cancer. Just imagine that for a moment. I know that. And one day you're there and you're saying, oh, Ulysses, my stomach hurts. And I know it's because of tumors in your body leading to pain in your stomach. And I came to you and I said to you, oh, man, your stomach hurts, that's terrible. Let me care for your physical needs. Here's here's my lazy boy uh, recliner. Please sit down and relax. Kick your feet up. Can I get you a warm cup of tea? That will help soothe your stomach. Can I give you some Tylenol? Maybe that will take away some of your pain. And I do all of these things, and you're sitting there, and you're laying down, and you're drinking this tea, and my lazy boy, and you're taking this Tylenol, and you're going, oh, I feel better. Thank you so much, Ulysses. But then I don't tell you that you have cancer. Is that loving? Is that right? I think, I think every one of us would say, no, absolutely not. That I don't tell you that you have a disease that will lead to your death, that I don't tell you that there is a, a treatment out there that, that you can with radiation or chemotherapy or certain medications and stuff, you can be healed, you could be better, that you could still be here for, for your spouse and for your kids, and that if I don't tell you those things that I come and I meet your physical needs in different ways, but I don't tell you that you have a disease that's gonna kill you if you don't do something about it. Is that good or loving? I would think not. Friends. it it is so good to care for people's needs, to go and and to to feed the hungry, to go and to to build a house for somebody who doesn't have a house, to to go and do medical work and care for people's medical needs, to, To, if you're a dentist, to go and clean people's teeth, to do all those things. But as I believe it was Dr. Ryan, the teaching pastor, one of our provisional elders said, that if that's all you do, you go and you clean people's teeth and you don't tell them about Jesus, you let them resume their journey towards an eternity without God, towards an eternity in hell with clean teeth. And that is simply not enough, brothers and sisters. That's not what Jesus did. Does this mean that every single time you go do something good for somebody, you say, hey, I want you to know that's from Jesus. And No, don't, don't be awkward about it. You don't need to wear a t-shirt that says, hey, by the way, Jesus says hello, right? You don't, you don't need to go do something like that. Is that what I'm saying? No, no, I'm not saying don't be awkward, don't be weird. Love people, show love, show compassion. But if you never tell them about Jesus, if there isn't at least an urgency in your heart that's saying, man, I did good for this person, this person's thankful, but I want this person to know that there's more than just these physical needs in life. There's something more important even than that. Man, I'm burdened for that. I want the opportunity to share this good news with this person if there isn't at least that sense of urgency and burden in your heart, then maybe there is something wrong there, something where we need to change. Or if telling them about these eternal needs that they have don't seem that important, if their physical needs seem to be what outweigh everything else, maybe, maybe it's your perspective that needs to change. Maybe heaven and hell, maybe eternity are not real enough to you. And this life just seems like to trump eternity or heaven and hell. Maybe it's our perspective that needs to change. You know, in fact, brothers and sisters, worst case scenario, your unexplained love, your unexplained spirit-empowered love for somebody may actually reinforce that person's belief that humanity is inherently good if they don't know. The Spirit's power working through you and, and in you to sacrificially love that person. That person may go, my goodness, you know, i would given up on humanity. But look, this you, you give me reason to believe human beings aren't all that bad. What is all this talk out there about sin and humanity needs a savior? Look at you. You give me hope. Human beings aren't all that bad. We're not so bad after all. Worst case scenario, we can actually reinforce this person's belief that humanity doesn't need God. We're not all that bad. Is there that desire to tell that person, the love that you've experienced from me is a God-empowered, Spirit-enabled love? Is there that burden within you to tell them that, hey, no matter how much good we do, no matter how much good you've experienced from me, that can't wash away sin. That can't wash away my sin even. Only Jesus, only his death upon the cross And his resurrection from the empty tomb, only that can change my life, can forgive me of my sin and enable me to live eternally with God. Friends, Jesus Jesus lamented the fact that most of the people of Israel, most of the Jews viewed him as nothing more than a healer. He lamented this when he said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Woe to you when you think that I'm just a physical healer, that I've just come to feed you with bread, to improve your life, to make you physically well, and that you don't see that there's something so much deeper that I've come to do through my life, given up upon the cross. He lamented the fact that they saw only these physical deeds that they had done for him that they crowded around him because they wanted more food and more physical healing he lamented that they didn't see him for more than that brothers and sisters do you lament when your neighbor or your friend or that homeless person you give food to doesn't see you as anything more than just a nice person a kind person maybe even a great person, a wonderful human being, do you lament that? Do you want them to know deep in your heart, I do this in the name of Jesus. I come in the name of Jesus. And there is a God who can give you so much more than a meal, than even physical healing. There's a God who wants to walk with you in this lifetime and for eternity. Brothers and sisters, is that the burden that is on your heart? This is, this is a harder burden to walk out, brothers and sisters. It's true because, you know, the temptation is it's, it's so much... Nobody's going to persecute you for doing good. Nobody will persecute you for going out there and building houses, feeding the homeless, caring for the sick. Nobody's going to... Everyone will be like, wonderful, wonderful, easy to do. People applaud you. You could feel good about that. But when you start telling people about the name of Jesus... That's when the truth that Jesus said that the gospel is offensive kicks in, and you will face resistance and persecution and ridicule and laughter and scorn because of doing the work of God. So it is certainly tempting to go do good. It's tempting to go to Bethesda to heal, to care for the poor, and to slip out, never to come back again, to not bring back the name of Jesus. But Jesus' searched for this man, and he found him to bring clarity. The one instance in the Gospels where somebody didn't know that it was him, and what he came to do, he searched and he found that man to make sure that he knew what Jesus came to do. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. A witness is somebody who tells others what he or she has seen and heard. That Jesus has died upon the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that if we trust in him, our sins can be forgiven, and we can walk with God forever. That if we don't, we will spend eternity apart from God. We are called to be his witnesses. Jesus doesn't say we're called to be his do-gooders. We're called to be nice people. Although we should be all of those things, but he says in his message to the church, before the church goes out into the world, you will be my witnesses. So witness about Jesus, witness about the cross and the empty tomb. Bring not just compassion into the lives of the world around us, but bring clarity. This world needs compassion and it needs clarity about Jesus and why we do what we do. I close with this verse, brothers and sisters, that after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, one day Peter was walking, and he saw this person there who was paralyzed, who was an invalid. And he looked at him and he said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. I don't know what Peter was thinking in that moment. This is all conjecture. Maybe, maybe in that moment, he remembered his Lord. He remembered. Maybe Jesus saying, we got to go find this guy. Maybe he remembered Jesus seeking out that one person, that that one instance where this man did not know who healed him. Jesus found him to bring clarity to the compassion. Maybe that was in his mind. And he said to this man, I don't have money. I can't help you with that. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Brothers and sisters." May we as the church go into this world showing compassion and love, being willing to get out of our comfort zones, to walk into the Bethesdas of our lives, to not just look to be comfortable around other Christians, but to walk into this broken and hurting world with the compassion and the love of Jesus, to do that, but to do it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, with clarity, because we care not just about their healing, their physical healing, but we want them to walk with God and to walk with God forever. Let's stand. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up now as as we respond to